God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and sound mind. Now, timidity is the root word for intimidation. And I feel it's, I'm just going to be, I'm going to go out on the limb and say something here. Sometimes it's much easier to deal with a spirit of fear than it is with a spirit of intimidation. Because a spirit of fear is something that you could rebuke. The spirit, you could take authority over the spirit of a demonic spirit of fear or whatever. Not, not every fear is demonic, okay. I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying everything is demonic. But intimidation has to do with how people make you feel. Come on, I'm preaching good this morning. I haven't even started yet. So I'm going to start with five questions, okay. Now, some of the supplemental things that I've had for this series is by John Bevere's book, Breaking Intimidation. How many of you have ever heard of John Bevere? How many of you have heard of Breaking Intimidation? Okay. I highly recommend you get that book. Now, I'm not basing my sermon off of the book, but the book is helping to add pieces together to this message because there is great freedom when we understand what intimidation is. So I'm going to ask you five questions like I asked last week, okay. Uh, and I do this because a lot of new people, I don't want you to answer them out loud. I just want you to think about these five questions. And if you answered yes to any of them, you probably have uh, been um, going through some sort of intimidation or you've been a uh, victim of a spirit of intimidation. Okay, number one. Do you find yourself at times wanting to say no to someone or a particular situation and wind up saying yes most of the time? Think, think, think. I'm going to say it again. Do you find yourself wanting to say no to a particular situation or to someone and wind up saying yes most of the time? Number two, do you feel guilty when you say no? <laughs> Think about this. Do you feel guilty when you say no? That's a real thing for many, many people, all right? Number three, do you feel, sorry, do you avoid confrontation now, when I say confrontation, it's not like, hey, buddy, I want to talk to you. No, it's meaningful conversation with another person in order for healing to take place or restoration. Can I hear an amen? Now, here's a third one. Do you avoid meeting with people or confronting people to resolve issues with certain individuals? It got quiet up in here. Number four, I'm starting with these five questions to begin my message like I did last week. Number four, do you find yourself avoiding, avoiding? Other people or places out of an unhealthy fear. Unhealthy fear. Now, there's not a healthy fear, but what, what, what this is trying to say is there's certain places that you sense real danger and you got to get out of that place. Or you got to get out of that situation. But if you're avoiding things because of an unhealthy fear, then maybe you have been operating in something that you don't know why you're operating in. And then lastly, do you find yourself feeling paralyzed, not feeling the strength or courage to do what you know to do when action is required. Think about what I just said. I'm going to help free you. Do you find yourself feeling paralyzed, not feeling the strength or courage to do what you know to do when action is required? If you answered yes to many of these, there's chances that you are dealing with the symptoms of intimidation. You can say amen to me. It's okay. I'm not going to be mad at you. So just this is review because it's so, it's so important that I get some review in order to build the foundation where I'm going. So let's look again at the Webster Dictionary. Now this is a worldly definition of fear and intimidation. And I want you to see, church, how even a secular definition of fear and intimidation speaks so loudly about what's really happening in many of the believers' lives. Can I hear an amen? 
Now look at the definition first of fear according to the Collegiate Webster Dictionary. It says an unpleasant and often strong emotion, this is not PG's definition, this is, is Webster, or feeling caused by the awareness of danger. To be alarmed because of danger and to be afraid. Now, fear has a connotation of recognizing danger or present danger or danger that's about to happen and avoiding those places, right? But the goal, let me just say this. Fear can also, the source of fear can be non-living. It doesn't have to be alive. It could be a thing. It could be a place. It could be the dark, right? Now, the goal of fear, and I'm not going to talk about this that much, but I'm just as a review. The goal of fear is to cripple you, to torment you, and to uh, immobilize you. Why? Because First Peter chapter 4, is it First Peter? No, it's First John chapter 4 says, there's no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. All right? So I'm not going to... I think we know a lot about that, so I'm not going to harp on that. But I want you to see the definition of intimidation now. This really is powerful, okay. And I think it's quiet because you guys are really sinking this in, so that's good. Intimidation. Look at what intimidation, the Webster Collegiate um, definition of intimidation. This, is, this blew my mind. To make fearful in hopes to compel or deter someone from their original destination or purpose. In other words, you're going somewhere, you have a purpose, you have a destination, and intimidation hopes to make you fearful to compel or deter you from your original purpose by the reality of threats or feeling threatened by a person. Preach, Pastor George, I'm trying to. Listen, it's a, it's a feeling of, of getting distracted or deterring you from your original purpose by threats, by threats, or the feeling of threats by a person. In other words, if you avoid necessary talk with people that you have conflict with and you always just say time will heal, it will not heal. You've got to talk to the person, even if you're anxious. Now, again, there's ways to talk to the person. When you're angry, you're talking to the person, and both people are angry, it's going to be a, a hot mess. But at least you're talking. Right? Am I, am I speaking to like an RCC this morning? I, did, I, did I like teleport to a wrong church or something like that? Am I, am I at RCC? Okay. All right. All right. So real quick, the, the Bible is clear about that. Now, last week we talked about a, a secret that I wanted to tell you, a revelation that is so important to understand this whole series, is that the devil loves authority. You must get this in your head. The, the enemy loves authority. Say that. Say the enemy loves authority authority. That's why when he went after Adam, he was after the authority that Adam had over the earth. That's why the second Adam had to come, Jesus, to reclaim the authority over the earth. Three times in the book of John, Jesus himself called Satan the ruler of this world. The ruler. Now, why would Jesus say the ruler of this world has come? If it, because he had not, Jesus had not yet died on the cross at that time. And he had given authority, Adam had given authority to Satan through sin and transgression. And then Jesus, the Bible says, is the second Adam and came and restored that. I say that because we are seated in heavenly places. Christina was singing it. I talked last week that we are seated in heavenly what? 
Now, now, I broke that down last week because that does not mean physical places because Paul was talking about that it's already happened. We are seated, we have been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, now time out. Has anyone physically sat in heavenly places yet? Yet. No, so that means Paul was talking about a spiritual principle. Now, now I understand the revelation that Paul said in Ephesians when he said, be not angry and sin not, do not be angry and sin not, watch this, neither give place to the devil. You know what the enemy's after? Your spiritual place of authority. He said, give no place. Now, now think about it. Let, let's say you're saying, well, I don't know about that. Then what place is Paul talking about? Your living room? A physical place? Be angry and sin not, but don't give the devil your bedroom. He's not talking about a physical place. He's talking about the place in the spirit that you and I carry. Listen, I, and I can prove that because when the, when, G, when the devil himself came to Jesus, he said, if you, I'm sorry, I will give you all these kingdoms, watch this, and their authority if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus had all authority, so he stripped him from the devil. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he regained authority so he, we could walk in authority. And I'm going to say something real bold. Just because you have God-given authority doesn't mean you walk in God-given authority. You have to understand that justification is, justification is what Jesus did on the cross for you. He made you holy. He made you righteous. He, he gave you authority. You didn't earn that. You got it. But there's a difference between justification of holiness and then you walking out that holiness with fear and trembling. So you, the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So just because you have the keys of the kingdom doesn't mean you're using them. You better quote that on Facebook. <laughs> Just because you have the keys of the kingdom doesn't mean you're using them. The devil, through intimidation, hear me please, through intimidation and fear seeks to upsurp your authority. Do you remember the story I gave last week? I have to say this in review because it's so, so key about John Bevere, the story he gave when he was preaching. For those of you who didn't hear, he was preaching at a conference years ago before this book came out. And while he was preaching, a prophetic word came out and he turned and he said, there's sin on the platform in this conference. And then he, then he started uh, preaching again. The next day of this revival, it was a 21-day revival, he started preaching and the Holy Spirit says, there's sin on the platform. So he said, there's sin on the platform in this church. that He was a guest. The, that, that 14th day of the revival, he came into the pastor's office before he preached again. True story. And he heard an elder say, well, Pastor, uh, Brother John, uh, the, the people on the platform are very disappointed in you. They're, they're upset with you because they said if they're sitting on the platform, you could have said, said it. You, you could have said it privately and not blasted it out for everybody. And they really are not happy. Well, John did not know at that time, according to his testimony, that a spirit of intimidation was released through those words. He said he went out there and the next day he preached like, like normal. He said, no unction to preach. He said there was no anointing to preach. He was like preaching to a wall. He got out of there as fast as he could, started praying for a couple hours. This is a review. He went back the next night, and it was worse. He said, I couldn't wait to get out of that revival. So he's praying to God, God, what's happening? He's feeling this heaviness. And in the third time that he's out there, he feels it again. And finally he says in his book, he says, he said, everybody stop. Let's pray right now. And as they began to pray and speak in the spirit, the Holy Spirit said, you 
allowed a spirit of intimidation to usurp the authority to preach the gospel through the words of those elders. He says, and has made your gift dormant. He goes, break their intimidation and preach what I've told you to preach. He said, from that time, he had the biggest altar call. He said, the Lord gave him pretty much the scriptures of the book in just about five minutes because of that day. And, and I, so I say all that to say this. You and I must be very well acquainted with the, de- with the enemy's tactics. Not only the Lord's ways, but the enemy's tactics to be able to overcome. Not just fear, but intimidation. There's many of you who have not talked to your boss or talked to somebody for years because you fear how they're going to react. And guess what? No healing, no restoration will ever take place. Time doesn't heal everything. So I'm going to give you an example. This is not from the book. This is something that the Lord gave me. I'm going to give you about four or five progressive. You know what progressive means? That means they build on another. According to Nehemiah, I I was blown away. When I was studying this, the Lord led me to the book of Nehemiah. And I found out four or five powerful, destructive, progressive realities of intimidation. How many want to hear that? How many want to see that? Okay. How many... By the raising of your hands, at one point or another, based on the definition that I gave of intimidation, have felt you've been intimidated before. Now, I want to say this. Intimidation doesn't mean bullying. It could be, but it doesn't mean that you were a victim of bullying. Some of you are like, oh, no, I never got bullied. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about if you were bullied or not. I'm talking if you secretly, secretly avoid confrontation have a hard time saying no when it's okay to say no. Come on, say amen. If you have a hard time saying no all the time, there's a possibility that you've been under something that the enemy is so sly about, but it's destructive. Now, I want you to look at Nehemiah. This is good stuff. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 13. There's about 13 verses, but I want you to see this. I have never spoke on this verse, on these verses, but I want you to see in the NLT how this reads. Now, how many are a little bit familiar with the story of Nehemiah? Right? How many? How many? Okay. All right. Because... uh, you know, Nehemiah was, was charged by God to go and leave where he was at uh, with the king at that time and rebuild the wall. It is interesting. Whenever you set your heart to rebuild anything from the work of the Lord, the enemy is going to go crazy on you. Whenever you seek to rebuild anything from the Lord, whether it's relationships or ministry, whatever, the devil will go crazy now. So, he's, so at this time, Nehemiah spent years Building the wall that was destroyed because of the Babylonian captivity. Do you follow me? All right. Now, we, we, we start with this, these, these people named Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, and, and Geshem. And you see that they say something, Nehemiah says something that gives us a clue. Listen, this is powerful. About the effects of intimidation. And if you don't think intimidation is a big thing, then you are missing a secret of the kingdom that God wants you to see, all right? Now look at verse 1, all the way to 13. Let's read together. You don't have to read it out loud. It says, you can see it on the screen. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out, found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not set up the doors and gates. Listen, follow me. Keep going. Keep going. Up until verse 13. So Sambalot and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. Isn't it amazing when you start doing something from the Lord, the enemy starts plotting to harm you? Right? 
he had just almost finished the work, right? Like, look at verse 3. So I replied by sending this message. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working and come meet with you? Four times the enemy sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. Look at this. The fifth time, Sambalot's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what the enemy's letter said. So imagine getting a letter from the enemy. Think about this. Imagine getting a letter from the devil because he is frustrated that you are, you're not uh, listening to his threats. There's a rumor, the enemy said, among the surrounding nations, and, and Geshem tells me that it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. This is what the enemy was saying. According to, uh, to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will, will get back to the king. Stop right there. What? Do you see what's happening? You better make sure... You better change your ways or I am going to tell the king. Threat. There, there is a, a manipulation starting to happen, a little threat that's starting to be released to hopefully release intimidation. Now watch. And I can prove it. Look, there's a king of Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk over with me. They, just trying to kill, they were just trying to kill Nehemiah. But Nehemiah had discernment. Now watch. He also report. oh sorry. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. I love my gangster Nehemiah. There's no truth to any part of your story. You are making the whole thing up. Now watch this. They were just trying, I'm going to preach now, to intimidate us, imagining, look at the progression, that they could discourage and stop the work. Do you see this? They were trying to intimidate me because intimidation will bring discouragement and desire to quit. So I continued the work with even greater determination. See, let me pause and say this. Whenever you are under a spirit of of intimidation, you have to go with greater determination to break that thing. So I, I love that. DMI says, you know what? I feel that intimidation, but I'm going to keep on working. And he even said they tried to intimidate us to discourage and quit. I'm going to make these points in a second. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah. Praise the Lord for that name. Son of Deliah and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, now this is another trickery. Look at this. Look at this closely. Look at this. Let us meet together inside the temple of God. Isn't it amazing that sometimes your own enemies are within the same church? It says, let's meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight, Nehemiah. But look at, look at Nehemiah's discernment. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Oh, my, that could preach. Should someone in my position run from danger? Look, look, look. Should, should someone in my position enter to the temple? To save his own life? No, I won't do it. Now look at the next verse. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but rather he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. So now he's not only dealing with the threats of, the, of Sambalot and Tobiah, now Sambalot and Tobiah are hiring false prophets to prophesy to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, 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 I know that God didn't speak to you because he told me to finish the work. 
Let me just pause and say something. That's how you know. When God speaks to you something, he's never going to go back on his word. The enemy's like, no, no, that's the same thing. The first thing that the enemy did, that the devil did in the garden was not to tempt Adam or Eve with lust or anything like that. He said, did God say? First thing, did God say? Question, making you question if God said something or he didn't say something. Oh, come on, keep, keep that up there. Keep that up there, that verse up there. They were hoping to intimidate. Now look at this, say intimidate. They were hoping to intimidate me, this is another progression, and make me sin. Do you see this? They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Look up at me. The goal of intimidation is about four or five major things in the story of Nehemiah. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? Nehemiah started building the wall. The enemy sent threats. Now remember the collegiate Webster dictionary uh, definition of, of intimidation. It is try to sway you off course through the feeling of being threatened by another person. Hear me. Now, I'm going to give you four points from that verse. Verse 9 and verse 13 that I see a progression. Everybody say progression. That means it builds on each other on the work of intimidation that it seeks to give you. Number one, the starting point of the destruction and the seeds in your mind to, 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 to attack you with this is number one, intimidation. You can put that slide up there. Intimidation. All right? That's the starting point. Say that's a starting point. So that's a, that's a starting point where the seed comes in your mind, comes in your heart. Do you not know, did you not read that the enemy didn't come with physical swords or, or with horses? He came with intimidation to try to stop the work of the Lord. I have a newsflash for you. The enemy's main goal is to intimidate you, to throw you off course from your calling and the work of the Lord. Now watch. So the first is intimidation. The second, the second, and by the way, the enemy will use people to do that too. Not just a spirit. He'll use people to do that. The second thing that you see in verse 9, the second thing is you see discouragement and depression. Now watch. So it starts, it starts off intimidation, right? And then it progresses to discouragement and depression. Now why, how, do you, how do I get that? Because in verse 9 it says they tried to intimidate us and discourage us. Now, I want to say something really powerful. Discouragement usually is the predecessor before we give before it evolves into depression. Did I did you hear me? So we're 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 um, discouraged first for a while, and if that discouragement doesn't stop, or we don't be, are able to find uh, true freedom from discouragement, it will evolve into depression. I mean, I've never. I mean, right before I've struggled with depression, and right. Before it came on me, I struggled before with discouragement. So it was discouragement, a hope deferred, hope deferred, hope deferred, hope deferred, makes the heart sick until it evolves into depression in your life and heaviness. Amen. The third thing that we see in Nehemiah, the third point or the third um, characteristic of an intimidating spirit is it gets you to want to give up and quit what God told you to do. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. I don't know if I'm preaching bad or preaching good this morning. 
God causes you to want to give up and quit. Now, where did I get that? That's verse 9. If you read the verse 9, it says he discouraged us and then he wanted us to quit the work. Intimidation seeks to not for you to quit not only the work of the Lord, but to give up your place of authority. That's what intimidation seeks to do. It seeks to give up your place of authority. All right? I want to see, put that, put that slide up there. One of the main goals of intimidation is to get you off track from your purpose or assignment by the feeling of being threatened. Can I hear an amen on that? And just like we talked last week, that's what it's talking about. Now look at the fourth progression. So it starts with intimidation. Then it evolves into discouragement. I, I got that all from Nehemiah. So I'm not just making it up, right? It's, it's what he said. They tried to intimidate me to discourage us so, they could, so we could give up. Right? And then at the very end in verse 13, he says, they tried to discourage me to get me to sin. Did you hear that? Do you see that correlation? They tried to intimidate him to try to get him to sin and be disobedient to, to the work of the Lord. So when we continually give to in, into intimidation, there are, there are times when we may become disobedient to what the Lord told us to do. Because whatever we're intimidated by, we honor that more than we sometimes do the word of God. I said last week, the fear of man brings a snare. That's what the Bible says, not what PG says. The fear of man brings a snare. So when we're intimidated, we can give in to sin and disobedience. Again, disobedience is a sin. And guess what happens when we give in to disobedience? This, this is the, the last progression. So it's intimidation, right? It's discouragement, all from Nehemiah. It's wanting to give up. It's sin and disobedience. And, and look at the, verse 13 again in your Bibles. He says, so that they could have a reason to accuse me and discredit me. That talks about integrity, character, and your reputation. So what, what intimidation wants to do is get you to, to sin, in a sense, by being disobedient to the, what the Lord told you to do. And then the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, has an, an occasion to discredit you. You know what discredit means? It talks about your character. It talks about your reputation. So I, I say this, it, it, when we continue to have the battering effects of fear and intimidation in our life, it will cause some havoc in our life. So I, I, I want to say this. This is, the, this is the part where I've been really wanting to harp on and on this week's uh, topic. And you know what? It's too quiet up in here in RCC. I need you to shout out a little bit. I need, I need to, there you go. Yeah. I'm like, am I preaching to my people? <laughs> Are they just sleep or they got hit in the head? Right? But look at what, the, look at what it says. I want to talk about this reality that at times, now please hear me with your spiritual ears, not with your carnal ears. At times, I, I think you know, if you know me well enough, you know that I am not an extremist uh, when it comes to uh, these type of things. I am not saying that everything is a demon. I'm not saying everything is from the devil. However, you can, if you only, if you only battle and try to tackle intimidation from a natural perspective, you are going to only get temporary relief, and it's not going to be long-lasting because the Bible says He's not giving us a spirit of fear. And I looked up that word "spirit" is the actual term that they use as a spirit or a demonic spirit, not just a an attitude. Hey, He's in good spirits. No, He's talking about a spirit of fear and timidity. So, in order for you to have spiritual assistance, we must have spiritual resistance requires spiritual assistance. 
Put that up there. Put that up there. Put that up there. Put that up there. Put that slide up there. Spiritual resistance requires spiritual assistance. You must fight intimidation and fear in the spirit realm. You cannot only just think positively. Praise God for that. But if all you do, oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble when I say this. And I'm not meaning to be insensitive. But if all you're doing is taking medication for that, that is short-lived. You will get a degree of freedom. And I thank God for medication. It's helped me in some areas of the medication I have. But if you realize that we're talking about a spiritual principle We must attack it in the spirit realm. We must attack it in the spirit realm. You've got to be able to to recognize it, repent of it, and deal with it. Because, listen, the very thing that the enemy is trying to absorb from you is the very weapon that you can use against them when he tries to throw intimidation at you. Which is, no, in Jesus' name, I'm not going to give in to that. I'm not going to do I am going to talk to this person. I am going to continue with the work of the Lord. I am going to continue with what you've called me to do. Many people, many people blame their personality for not completing the work of the Lord when they've really been under some intimidation in their life. Oh, I'm preaching, but then you're saying amen today. Look, 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 look at Ephesians. I'm going to say this real quick. Ephesians, look at what Paul says about spiritual realm, the spiritual realm, the need to fight in the spirit realm. I'm going to say something really bold. If you don't catch anything I say, I'm going to say this. Today I'm harping on fear and intimidation also being from the source of a spirit. I'm, I'm, I, 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 anyways. Ephesians chapter 6, look what it says. Look what it says. A final word, NLT. Be strong in the, in the Lord and the power of his might, right? Look at this. Put on the God's armor. So Listen, listen. So that you will be able to stand firm against what? The strategies. Do you know that one of the strategies of the devil is fear? Do you know that one of the strategies of the devil is intimidation? Look, put, look keep, on, keep on going. Keep on going to verse 12. For we are not fighting. Oh, God, look, remind us of this. Remind us. Look, 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 look. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Get that in your head. My problem with people is not with the people. Sometimes the enemy wants to divide us. Don't make me drop this mic, it's expensive. I realized I was actually sitting in the front row and the Holy Spirit told me, he says, your problem with so-and-so is the enemy's plan to divide you. That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, your, your issues with that person is because the enemy is the real enemy. And you know what? Once you get that, boy, you can love no matter what personality that other person has. Embrace different people's personality. Just because it's different than yours is not because they're, they're against you all the time. Right? You may be an introvert and I'll be an extrovert. And we may be, I may be a firecracker and you may be a, a I don't know. Uh, there's, no, there's no analogy to go with that. <laughs> and, but. Just because we're different, does it make you better or make me better? Or does it make me from the devil or you from the devil? But you have to realize that sometimes the underlining thing that is stopping you and I from getting freedom is a spirit of fear. Let's just call it what it is. or, or spirit. Because all in the name of spirituality, we name everything else other than 
the fact that it's from the enemy. If you're just dealing with the symptoms, you will never get totally free until you go to the source. And the source is, it's from the enemy. You know what these people, the, the, like Smith Wigglesworth and A.A. And a. A. Allen and all these people, these mighty generals in the past knew, they really felt that all disease was from the devil. And that's why Smith Wigglesworth would punch tumors. Because he was mad at the devil, not at them. He was mad at the enemy for causing that. That's why Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says, And God was with Jesus of Nazareth, who went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the Not by people. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. <laughs> by the devil. All oppression comes. The root of it, the root of it comes from the enemy. And we need to think about these things. Now, now, I understand there's a balance that sometimes we're heavy and sometimes we're oppressed about some things. And, and I'm not saying that you have a demon in your living room. But what I'm saying is we should not be okay with, a, with being oppressed. None of us in this room should be like, man, you know what, I'm going to be oppressed for a while. That's really cool. Now, look, Ephesians 6.10 says that. Now, now what, what does Paul say in another scripture uh, get that up there, Zach, or the team. Second Corinthians 10. I'm going to go this real quick. Another, another spiritual thing, because I'm going to end with one story about Elijah that's going to deal with this that, that I've preached before. But you're going to see with new eyes how Elijah was indeed suffering from intimidation. And I can prove it. Okay. It's a spiritual thing. Say it's a spiritual thing. So watch. We, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war <laughs> according to the flesh. Thank you, Lord, that your problem, I mean, my problem is not really you. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's, it's the other person. But the real enemy trying to divide us is the enemy. Okay. Now, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God are building down of strongholds. So look, 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 look what it says. Cat, oh, I'm going to read this. You're going to see this in a new light. This is NLT, no, no, this is New King James. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Watch this, read it slow, read it slow. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Watch, look at this, look at this, look at this. And being ready to punish all disobedience. How? When your obedience is fulfilled. Now, Oh, do you want to know how we give disobedience a pow-pow? A pow-pow, like the Spanish people say. Do you know how to punish, do you want to know how to punish disobedience through your obedience? I know that sounds really crazy, right? He says, you get ready to punish, punish all disobedience through your obedience. That means sometimes when you know that God spoke to you and you're, you're sensing a spirit of fear or intimidation trying to deter you. Remember the definition, deter you. Then that's when you crush and spank disobedience by saying, no, I'm going to stay the course. I'm, I'm going to stay the course. I'm not going to go to the left. I'm not going to go to the right. I'm not going to shut up because I'm afraid of that person. But I'm going to resolve it. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. If you're afraid of confrontation, if you're afraid to say no, that's hard sometimes. But just because you say no 
and maybe you know that that no may hurt that other person, if you continue to say no, both of you are not going to get the, the end result of what God intended for that relationship. But sometimes you have to say no. I'll preach to this side because I think this side is really good. Sometimes you just got to say no. Now, you, you'd be surprised how many people suffer with not, say, not being able to say no. You, you think that that's just a no big deal. I told you last week that one of my spiritual sons years ago when we were at OHOP, he had this, he had this, we were in his car, and he, you could tell he was about to say something to me because he's like, and I'm like, okay, you know, and he's just like kind of, literally, I thought he was going to say, man, I fell, you know, sexual, you know, all the big sins, right? And he goes, I never forget this. He says, PG, I got to ask you something. I go, yeah, what is it? He goes, like, um, he goes, um, how do you say no to people? I go, huh? He goes, how do you say no to people? I go, I just say no. He goes, it's not that easy for me. And then as a youth pastor, I wasn't as mature as I am now, and I was a little bit callous. You know, I'm like, ah, oh, come on, this, you know, you just got. But I realized that there's many people that struggle with not being able to say no. Why? Because they don't know the root of why they can't say no. It's because somehow they value the other person's opinion greater than what maybe the Lord is trying to say. And they have just been usurped in their authority. And they're not able to walk freely with their boss. Let me tell you, if that, if that doesn't get dealt with, it will, you, you, may not, you may temporarily not be able to talk to that person. But follow you in your marriage. It will follow you in your friendships. It will follow you in your boss. And everywhere you go, you are not be able to stand for truth because you keep running. I want to say this with love, okay. I'm smiling when I say this to you. A spirit of intimidation wants you to flee and run. I call them runners. They avoid, they avoid talks. They avoid meetings. They avoid times where we need to hash things out uh, or whatever. Or it's, maybe it's not just a conflict. Maybe it's something that we need to do to, together to, to, to advance the kingdom of God. Nehemiah was doing things together with people to build the wall. And the main thing that the enemy used was not Bullets or spears or weapons. It was intimidation from Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem. You know why? Because the Bible just said they were trying to intimidate me. This is good stuff here. Now watch. I'm, I'm almost closing here. I want you to see this. I want you to hear this real quick. I'm going to say this and I'm going to go to one scripture and then we're going to close. I want you to hear this. Hear this. Demons, demonic spirits ride on the negative words that you speak towards another person. Demons ride on the wave of words that you speak privately towards another person. There's a prophet years ago that had a vision. And in the vision, get this, there were demons on surfboards. <laughs> there were demons on surfboards in this vision. And in the vision, this prophet saw demons waiting for the wave to, to carry them in momentum. And the Holy Spirit spoke to this prophet and says, those demons are on boards and the wave are the critical words from people that initiate momentum for their cause. Watch what you say about somebody behind closed doors. That's why sometimes people are struggling because you're just releasing these negative words. And sometimes it's laced with demonic activity because words have the ability, hear me now, to release a spirit of intimidation. That's exactly what happened when 
great mighty Elijah ran for his life. He just called down fire from heaven. I'm going to prove it. I know I've preached here before another angle that Elijah wanted to see revival. And maybe that's why he was discouraged. No doubt he was discouraged because after three and a half years of famine, which by the way, he had to live by himself. Can you imagine calling a famine? You're a prophet. You call a famine and you have to live in that famine. You're saying the Lord says. And you're probably going, oh man, I won't be hungry for the next three years because of these idiots over here that don't, don't turn to the Lord there's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. You say, well, Elijah was taken care of. Yeah, he had to walk by faith and get fed by ravens. He didn't know that until he was in the brook. He's like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to eat. And all of a sudden, breakfast came from, from birds. Right? Now watch, watch. He came three and a half years later. I'm, I'm going to give you the scripture in just a second. Three and a half years later, all right, he's, he arises on the scene again. He's about to call Rain for the first time in three and a half years. He says, okay, the God who answers by fire is the real God. And not only am I going to say it, I want to prove it. Because, you know, I, I could say God is a God of fire all I want in RCC. But if I say God's going to actually come down through this roof and have fire, you're going to be like, yeah, right. But he was so convinced. You know the story. But I'm summarizing it so when I tell you something, is going to click. Right? Elijah started having... This meeting, he, he called down fire. Actually, as you, as you remember, he told the people, the false prophets who put water on the sacrifice four times. He said, okay, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Make it harder on God. All right? And all these other people were cutting themselves. All the bed. And he's just sitting down there. And I love it because Elijah said, look, look, cry harder. Maybe your God is in the bathroom. That's what it says. Maybe your God is doing something. Go ahead. Cry out louder. Oh, no fire. And then Elijah comes in. Look at this bold Elijah. Okay. Calls down fire. Consumes a sacrifice. Then he has all these false prophets murdered. Right. Killed. Executing the, the zeal of the Lord. One person named Jezebel released demonically laced words over Elijah and said, May the gods do to me and more so if you are not like one of these by tomorrow. Now, I want you to see this because at first I was like, well, you know, mighty Elijah, what happened? I am convinced that for that moment he yielded to a spirit of intimidation that was laced from Jezebel. Jezebel has the characteristics of control, manipulation, and fear. That's how Jezebel works. Listen, Ahab was the king, but she wore the pants. She ran those things. Jezebel ran Israel, and Ahab was like, do you think it's okay, Jezebel? Now, now watch, watch, watch. Look at 2 Kings. Look at 2 Kings. Well, you know what? Before, let me, let me see. Um, okay, let's first go to 2 Kings 9. Now, before you go there. I want to say something really deep. Everybody say deep. You know what Jezebel did when, he, when she released these words? You know what that is called in the Bible? You know what that's called? Not just intimidation. You, do you know, I, I know you're going you're gonna, to, some of you are going to think I'm super whacked out, but I'm going to prove it to you. What in essence Jezebel did when she released those words of fear and intimidation and control is called witchcraft. Anytime someone tries to control you, 
witchcraft seeks to control, manipulate, and, and listen, listen, and, and bring intimidation to you. Witchcraft seeks to control a person. And what Eli, um, Jezebel wanted to do was she released the words that were filled with demonic threats. And that, according to the scripture, is also an effect of witchcraft. Now watch this. Some of you may not know this, but you've been under a spirit of intimidation and you've actually felt the, re- the effects of witchcraft on your life. Now when I say witchcraft, you're thinking of the, the, the woman with the wart in her nose and the, and, the, and the black hat and the broom. That's not what the Bible's talking about. And it's not what Jehu said. You know what Jehu said? Jehu? Oh man, raise up Jehu's in the church, Lord. Come on, raise up Jehu. You know Jehu said? You know what? God says, Elijah, he ran opposite direction. He was afraid. And finally, listen, Elijah was so depressed that he sees an angel and goes back to sleep. You guys didn't miss that. Can you imagine you're asleep and an angel wakes you up and says, here, have some food for your journey that you're going the opposite direction. And and he goes, oh, it's just you. I'm going to go back to sleep. You have to be really discouraged <laughs> to see an angel and say, oh, it's only you. I want to go back to his bed. I'm going to show you to you in a second. But look what Jehu says about Jezebel. So you know, listen, please, please, please. And I know that sometimes you, 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 I'm going to get something out of this. But look, look at this. A part of intimidation has a hint of spiritual witchcraft attached to that. Look, look. Okay, fine. I'm just going to let the scriptures. 2 Kings 9 verse 22. Are you ready? It's up on the screen. King Jerome demanded. Now, Jerome is the son of Jezebel, right? They found out that, that, that a Jehu was coming to them. So, so Jezebel's son or offspring, uh, Jerome, Jeram, Jer- sorry, not Jerome. <laughs> I, got the, I, got the, I got the street version there. <laughs> King Jerome, hey. <laughs> King Joram <laughs> demanded, watch, do you come in peace, Jehu? Do you come in peace? Watch this, guys. Jehu replied, how can there be peace as long as the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother, Jezebel, are all around us? Hey, is there peace, Jehu? Jehu goes, how can there be peace when there's idolatry and witchcraft from your mother? Man, that, that's, that's boldness. Your mom is operating in witchcraft. There can't be any peace in Israel. Now watch. Look, 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 at, look at this. This is crazy. Look at, when, when we think of witchcraft, we think of potions and stuff. That's not what Jehu is talking about. He's talking about the intimidation, the manipulation, and the control that Jezebel uses on people. Oh, come on. Do you think Jezebel was actually concocting some potions? And saying, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? She wasn't doing that. Her witchcraft was her intentional words of manipulation and intimidation. Oh boy, let me let, me, let that roar inside of you. How many of you have been crippled for so long because intimidation stopped you five years ago? How many of you not wanted to sing because of intimidation? How many of you not wanted to preach because of intimidation? How many of you have not wanted to do a business that God told you because of what people will think about you or that you, the voices are saying you're going to be a failure? And entire callings are affected because of a spirit of intimidation and fear. So Jezebel, now watch this. I'm closing with this. All right, worship team, come up, please. Look at this. The last scripture. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 6. Doing pretty good on time. Are you getting something this morning? 
Now look at this. Now look at 1 Kings 19, 1 through 6 and NLT. Look at it. Look in the screen. Ready? When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel. Look at the king. The king is supposed to be the one who's coming on these things and making these decisions. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now, that's a problem right there. Ahab was saying, was already admitting that Jezebel was the king or the queen, but ruler of all Israel. Now watch. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. I'm going to say, I'm going to send this really quick. I want you to hear this and don't pretend that you are not paying attention because this, what I'm about to say, is vital. If you ever hear again, well, Elijah really wasn't afraid. I've even, I've even mentioned those things uh, uh, at one point. I'm going to prove to you that he was very much afraid. And you say, how can a prophet who called down fire from heaven be afraid? Because it's through the manipulating, witchcraft-laced words of threats that release in the spirit of intimidation that he decided to yield to. He had a choice. Now watch. I'm going to prove that he was afraid. Say afraid. All right, remember, just a day ago, not five months ago, a day ago, he just had the greatest ministry anyone could ever have. He had the greatest day of ministry. Me and Pastor John and Pastor Keith and would not have such a day. One day of fire from heaven, killing the false prophets of Baal. I mean, announcing that water is coming back on the earth, that's a pretty good day of ministry. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a pretty good day. The very same day, later that day. Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. Listen, listen, listen. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Look at the next verse. Elijah was afraid. It says it. Word for word in the scripture. You could try to twist it. However, he really wasn't afraid. That afraid in the Hebrew means afraid. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servants there. Look at this. Then he went on alone to the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree. Look, this is the part where he sees a, a, an angel. He prayed that he might die. Listen, listen. Ooh, this is good. Are you ready? A spirit of intimidation, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get dealt with in your life, can lead to depression and suicidal thoughts. He wanted to die because of an intimidating word from the queen when he just released fire. Fire. He prayed he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life for I'm no better than the ancestors who have already died. Look at verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. You must be really depressed if you just see an angel and go back to sleep. Guys, have you ever seen an angel? Have you ever, have you ever, has an angel showed up to you and actually given you food? I mean, I'm going to be honest. If that happens to me, I'm like, oh my God. Oh. I'm not going to go back to sleep. He was so depressed because of intimidation that he saw an angel and went back to sleep. Oh, this is to preach right now. The church through fear has been asleep. Fear and intimidation has been your Delilah to rock you to bed. 
you are a sleeping giant. The church is very much alive. The church is very much victorious. The church of Jesus Christ is very much alive and free and bold and well. But we have not demonstrated that as of late. Paul the Apostle, when he was shipwrecked and he got bit by a poisonous snake, didn't even look at the snake. Give me some cornbread. Give me some hamburger. Give me some, pass, pass me that chicken. He didn't even look at it. He didn't go, oh, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm the Apostle Paul. What am I going to do? I was going to say something, but I'll, I'll offend people if I do. I was going to say something real bad, but. What do I do? What do I do? Oh my God, I got bitten. I got bitten. God, Peter, quick, grab some antiseptic. Grab some first aid. Do something. I'm about to die. He got bit by a poisonous snake. And the Bible says that everyone looked to see if his hand would swell up. And then all of a sudden his hand didn't swell up. They're like, he must be a God or something. No, he walked in authority. He walked in boldness. He wasn't any special than me and you. He just did, oh, he refused to look at the snake. And what the snake was doing, stop being so devil conscious. And stop being God conscious. When you have a mission, you don't have time to start thinking of the devil this, devil that, devil this. You're on a mission, baby. I can almost imagine Paul saying, I don't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. It's just a snake to, to, to everybody else. It's a poisonous snake. To Paul, it's just one of the many things that he has authority over. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? Four points, we're going to pray. What, does, what, what do you lose when you yield to a spirit of intimidation? Put that up there. What do you lose, guys? What do you lose? You could, t- you could either take a picture of this or you could just write it down. Four quick things that you lose when you yield to a spirit of intimidation. Are you getting something this morning? There's more than four. Number one. You lose your peace. Is that the truth, church? Hello? Is that the truth? Speak to me. Is it true that you lose peace when you're under intimidation? Okay. So you lose your peace. Confusion and and lack of peace is all part of somebody who's yielding to intimidation. So you lose your peace. The second thing you lose, you lose your hope. And when you lose your hope, that means you gain discouragement. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. You know what you also lose when you lose hope? It's not, it's not on there, but you also lose your joy. Hope and joy are connected, right? Number three, what do you lose when you give in to intimidation? You lose your confidence in your true identity and your calling. Think about what God has called you to do in this room right now. Think about the many times you were persuaded not to do something when God told you to do something. Let's say you have a gift to sing. 
Let's say you have a gift to play instrument. Let's say you have a gift to do uh, arts or be in the media team. But you refuse because you've, you've heard past people say, you, you're, you're just average, you're no good. And they convince you to stop the work of the call of God in your life. When you give in to intimidation, you start losing the fabric of the, of the call of God that God wants you to be. Listen, I'm going to say something really clear before we go to the last point. If I really cared and moved by what people think, my job would be miserable. As a pastor, do you know how many people don't want to do the things that just exactly how I may want to do it and how many th times I get people say, well, I'll, you, I'll do it this way, you should do it that way, or I don't agree with that. If I really was bound to their opinions, I would be such an ineffective pastor. Now, do I accept criticism? Do I accept ideas? Yes, but I can't give in to wanting to please somebody at the expense of being obedient to the voice of God. That was two amens. Thank you for that. And then lastly, 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 you lose your courage. When you give in to intimidation, you lose courage. By, by the way, here's a little nugget. Courage is the baby steps before you step out in faith. So here, I'm about, I'm about to step out in faith. In order for you to step out in faith, you have to have courage first. Courage builds up. The predecessor of, of faith is courage. So when you, your courage is built up, then you could take that step and launch out into the deep. But when you are under intimidation, you lose your courage. And you lose your ability to step out in faith. Can I hear an amen? How many want to make war against this? Come on. Let's stand up. Come on. Let's stand up. Our worship team is going to play something right now. But as we do, I really felt in my heart... I want us to get in groups of three or four right now. I want you to hold hands. And our Christina is going to lead us into a, a song. But as we worship, here's what I want you to do. Because I could very easily do this for you, but it's not going to work. I want to be honest. You have to take authority in the spirit realm. Come on, church. Don't fall asleep on me. You must be aggressive on this. Don't allow fear and intimidation, listen, to rule you anymore. It's time for you to speak up. It's time for you to address this in the spirit, not just naturally. Stop only thinking positively and start attacking this in the spirit realm. Okay, go ahead, guys. I want you to begin to hold hands with somebody, and I want you to begin to pray against intimidation in your life. Take authority over it right now.